Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 166 of Dogcast Radio. And remember, all our episodes and much more can be found at our website www.dogcastradio.com. This show is an in-depth interview with Pam Dennison about her book, You Can Train Your Dog. Pam is a dog trainer whose passion is making training clear and fun to the dog. She's a member of the Association of Professional Dog Trainers, the Dog Writers Association of America, and is a certified animal behavior consultant with the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants. So without more ado, here's the interview. I'm talking to Pam Dennison. Hi, Pam. Hello there, Julie. How Hi. are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Good. Good, good. Um, well, we're going to talk about your latest book, You Can Train Your Dog. And I love it, Pam, because I think it's going to do so much good. You explain things so well in this book. And there's so many brilliant ideas. And as I was reading it, there was so many things that I was going, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. It's, I think it's a brilliant uh. book. and It's going to do a lot of people and a lot of dogs a lot of good. Good. I hope so, because that's yeah. what it's for. Yeah, excellent. Well, let's let's jump straight in, because, I mean, right from the off with this book, Chapter 1, Modern Training Fundamentals. Um, and I, I, I love that, because so many people struggle with, you know, the positive training thing and, and the, the modern, um, the research and the scientific knowledge we have now. And I like your, your sentence where you say, modern training is precise manipulation of favorable consequences, such as food, play, toys, um, in order to teach your dog to respond with the behaviors you want. It's, it's simple in yeah. essence, but it, it, you can get it so wrong, can't you? Yes, unfortunately, yeah, there's still a lot of misinformation out there about dogs and how dogs learn and that you must dominate your dog. And it's really sad, actually. Yeah. And so that's why, you know, I wrote this book so that people can have information that's put in a very easy-to-understand format, easy-to-follow, step-by-step instructions, but also explanations of why I want you to do this this way. Yeah, yeah. Because I think if you if you know why you're doing something, you it's easier to do it because you know exactly why and and that why it works, and so you stick with it better, don't you? Yeah, yeah. And I do that with my my students as well. I always tell them what to do, but then I explain why we're doing it, because then it makes sense, then they're going to remember, and then they'll follow through. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. You make some great points in this book. Um, Very early on, you point out that positive isn't permissive. Being positive isn't just saying, get on with it and do what you like, is it? No, not at all. (laughs) Not at all. And a lot of people think that positive means let the dog, dog run rampant around you. And that's totally not not at all. You know, you want to be very clear, very concise, very fair, but you can still get what you want and give the dog what they want. Yeah, yeah, I'd, absolutely. Um, now, in this first chapter, you mentioned mm-hmm. the three laws of learning. 
Yeah. And again, it's, you know, it's fairly simple. It's, it's simple to see, to read and understand. It can be difficult to sort of apply in, in, in some situations when you, you forget and it flies out the window and you, you start taking things personally. But again, if you, under, if you really, really understand them, those three, three laws, it does help achieve... Yeah, I mean, rewarded behavior is repeated, mm-hmm. ignored behavior stops. Once a behavior is in place, variable rewards will strengthen that behavior. So what happens is, and I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. Before I knew what I was doing, I trained my Sheltie Noel to bark for four solid hours. Okay? Yeah. So I was doing exactly those three laws of learning. Rewarded behavior is repeated. So what did I do? I rewarded her by yelling at her and punishing her and gave gave her tons and tons and tons of attention for barking. Yeah. So I taught her to bark for four hours. And I have some clients now that are having problems with barking, and I tell them the story about Noel, and then their their face falls, and they're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really, really, really funny, because it's like, honey, the only way you're going to truly get out of this barking stage is just leave the house, leave the room, do something else. Just don't reward it in any way, shape, or form. You know, because then what happens is the way that I did this, and it was perfect learning theory. Um, so I, I say, okay, I'm going to ignore her, and I ignore her for like a minute, and then I would yell at her because I couldn't take it anymore. Mm. And then, okay, then the next day I try again. Okay, I'm going to ignore her. So I maybe it was five minutes, and then I start yelling at her. So now I've reinforced her for five minutes of barking, and then it went on and on and on until I you know, taught this dog to bark for four hours. Yeah. Yeah. And as you say, you think in the moment, you think you're doing the right thing. And then when you sort of sit down calmly and analyze it, you think, no, I can see why, why the dog's doing what he's doing now. She's doing. Exactly. And it's the same with jumping too, or any other misbehavior. You know, if you reinforce it in any way, the dog's going to continue to do it. Mm. And that's a very hard concept. Oh, but I have to tell the dog what they did wrong. No, you don't. Tell them what they did right, and they'll stop doing the wrong stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The I like the way you you have little anecdotes in the book, um, a lot with your own dogs and, and with clients, and, and we're going to come on to that, because it really brings it alive, and, and it sort of illustrates it so well. And, for example... Oh, yeah, it really does. So, for example, you, when you, you said in the book that you were coming home and your shelters were in the um, the hallway and sort of barking as, as soon as you came in, and you dealt with that by having treats in the hallway, didn't you? Well, what I did is I, I had treats in the hallway, and I have a door between the hallway and then my living room. So I grabbed some treats, and then I'd open the door just like a crack, and before, and I and I had to be really quick because if you if you throw the treats when the dogs are barking, then you're reinforcing the wrong thing. Mm. So I had to be really fast in my timing. So I would just get a handful and just fling them. And then, of course, they'd be like, oh, food. And then they would be quiet. And then I would come in. So I just, I only had to do that a few times. And they don't, they don't do the barking anymore. Yeah. Yeah. 
Pretty, it's, you know, I mean, they bark other times because, of course, they are Shelties and they were bred to bark. But, you know, whenever I wanted to stop the barking in certain situations, I was able to stop the barking in certain situations. Yeah. Yeah. And another story you, you tell, and, and sort of I've had some of this with Buddy when he was um, my Labrador when he was a puppy because he was very orally fixated and he'd pick things up and run away with them or you know it and it was he, it was the attention he wanted and it took me a while to work out it wasn't the thing that he was picking up that he wanted it was the attention he wanted um and right. your your beau was um stealing shoes wasn't he oh my god yes and uh, of course i was stupid and not putting them away <laughs> um so what i finally did after he ate my favorite all-time favorite pair of sandals i'm like okay let's just fix this. And he was about five months old at the time. And so what I would do is he would, he would, I'd be like in the kitchen or whatever, and he'd have a shoe in his mouth, and he'd be doing the neener, 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 I have a shoe. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, we're going to fix this. So I click it. And the first time I clicked him having a shoe in his mouth, he was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. So he drops the shoe, and I'm like, no, 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 go get it, go get it, bring it here, bring it here. And he's like, you're kidding, right? I'm like, no, I'm not kidding. So he brought it to me, like, like you're crazy, lady. <laughs> and I gave him a treat, and I did that a couple times, but then after I gave him a treat, now, Bo was much more toy-motivated than he was food-motivated. Mm. So what I would do is when he would bring me a shoe, I would then give him a toy, and then he started bringing me the toy instead mm. because the shoe, he only got a cookie, but the toy, we got to play tug. Yeah. So he very quickly, I mean, that was also just a couple days and then he stopped stealing my shoes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, see, I, I can imagine your, it must be quite difficult to be one of your dogs in some ways because you outsmart them every time. Uh, most of the time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they, every now and then they come up with something and it's like okay how do I fix this what should I do alright let's fix it oh, I'm just thinking that the, your, your poor dog's like oh yeah I want this shoe and they go oh no okay you, you can imagine his, the, as you say the look on his face when you click and he's like just a minute you're not playing the game here but then you give right. him what he wants so it's you know it's okay yeah exactly it was really funny yeah yeah there's there's a lot of advice in in the book that sort of looks at things from the dog's point of view, which I think is brilliant, because that's what we need to do. Um, and right. one of the things you say is break down each behavior into tiny pieces. Now, why do right. we need to do that, and why does it work for the dog? Okay, that is called successive approximations, if you wanted the fancy word for it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very important to break down behaviors, especially complicated ones, because if you... Tr- if you try to teach a very complicated behavior, let's say loose leash walking, okay? Uh-huh. So if you try to teach loose leash walking the first time out as this finished, you know, you, you have the finished behavior in your head with you walking nicely down the street and your dog is on a loose leash, you're not going to get it. You have to first develop um, a uh, relationship with your dog that they will want to follow you, want to be near you, okay? So you want to train, you want to break down those behaviors 
into very tiny pieces. I'll give you another example. I'm working with a dog right now, a little chocolate lab, and we're trying to teach the dog to down. And for some reason, whatever reason, the dog is not understanding what we're asking. Now, most dogs, you know, you take a cookie and you lure them into a down, they go down, you say down, you give them the treat, easy. Mm-hmm. This dog is not understanding. So what we did yesterday is we started to lure the dog just about an inch. So if he lowered his head, he got the treat, and then another inch, and then another inch, and then another inch. And after about 10 minutes, we were able to get the dog into a down. You know, by breaking it down into very small pieces. Yeah. So yeah. you want to do that. It, it's like learning calculus. Well, you're not you're not learning calculus in first grade. You're learning one and one equals two. You know, and it's the same thing with the dogs. You have to break things down so that they understand each piece, and then you can move on to the next piece. Yeah. And then the next piece, and then the next piece. Yeah. But if you try to, it's called lumping. If you try to lump all of these steps together, it's going to fall apart. Or if it, if the dog gets it at all. Mm. Yeah. No, I, th- I think it's brilliant. I mean, that's, I, I am trained to teach children, and that's what we're told with children. You know, you break each behavior down into the manageable steps. And like you say, with, with, with kids, you don't go jump straight in with calculus and algebra or, you know, read war and peace. You, you build those steps gradually and you give them the skills they need. It's, it's, it's brilliant. It's right. you know, just what you need yeah. to do. And then, yeah, then you've got a nice solid foundation. Yeah. Yeah. This, and that's, that's what a lot of people try to skip. Yeah. Is building that foundation and, and it's going to fall apart. You know, your house of cards will absolutely fall apart unless you build a solid foundation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, there's so much in, in the book. You know, I've, I've made notes on what I want to talk to you about, and I'm, I'm aware that there's, there's so much more than, than we can fit in sort of one interview. Um, but you, you mentioned sort of the idea that people think that dogs, you know, escape punishment. If you do positive training, they're escaping punishment in some way, which is, it's crazy. I can see, we, that's how we work, though, isn't it? Yes. It, it is how our, our society is based. It's all based on punishing. And, you know, it's okay, but it's okay to make a mistake. That, I mean, mistakes are just mistakes. Yeah. It just means you didn't understand it. So if you look at it that way, that your dog is not doing this on purpose to be dominant over you or to take over the world or to get something over on you. They just don't understand what you want them to do. Mm. And, that, and that's why I'm very, very adamant mm. about what do you want the dog to do instead? And, I, and in my classes, I don't even allow the word no. Yeah, yeah. Because no is not a verb. Uh-uh is not a verb. Any derivative of those words is not a verb. What do you want the dog to do? And then, poof, you train it and you'll get it. Yeah. You, absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it's such a go-to word, though, isn't it? No, no. Um, and it, it just doesn't work because what are you telling him to do? Um, 
I like as well, and there's so many good ideas in this book. I like the pop quizzes at the end of sort of a lot of the chapters. And it's okay. sort of, yeah, I do. It's like sort of revising that chapter, you know, and, and seeing what you've taken from it. Um, and at the end of that first one, I really like that. How many times did you use the word no to your dog today? And how many right. times did you catch him? doing something good because we're really good and I, I was really thinking about this the other day and I do it with my dogs you know you you they're lying there nicely and you know for example my border collie he'll be lying in his bed and I just walk past him and oh yeah that's I register he's doing something good but I don't comment on it and then when oh. he's I know then when he's spinning or chasing a cat I'm like oh Rusty no don't do that and I and it, I really brought me up short yesterday and I was like I walked past him and he was just lying there and oh you're so good good dog. so but it's 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 just a case of remembering it. It's it's that behaviour that impinges on you and you think, oh, don't do that. And so you comment. But it's just making the right. effort, isn't it? Right. And then, of course, then then the dog is being reinforced for doing the spinning or whatever behaviour mm-hmm. because he wasn't reinforced for lying that down quietly. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I have hurting breeze. I mean, right now I have one Border Collie and two Shelties. And as I'm standing here talking to you, they're laying down at my feet and sleeping. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, because I heavily reinforce them when they're being good. Mm. You know, and, I, and I'm not always using food. Sometimes it's just a little wave across the room. Good dog. Thank you so much. Well done. You know, maybe I'll walk over, give them a little pet. Um, but they're, my dogs are heavily reinforced for being good house dogs. Yeah. And just if I'm busy, I don't want you bothering me because I'm busy. You know, and your turn will come, I promise. Yes. It's it's that sort of have getting to the point where they have the the faith and trust in you that, you know, good things will happen, but just now it's it's not the time for that, you know. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um you talk about myths in the book and my goodness there are so many of them but we're still I can't believe that still the clicker some people are sort of saying oh it's a fad it's a gimmick I can't believe that now 2016 we're still having this battle about the the clicker can you I can believe it it's sad but I can believe it and I get crazy (laughs) like well I tried the clicker and it didn't work well how did you use it well I clicked to get the dog to do something I said well the click is not a verb yeah. You know, it's not an attention-seeking device. It's not a recall signal. It, it's not click once and sit, click twice and down. That's not what it's for. Mm. It's simply just a marker signal that the dog did something right. That's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And a lot of people, when they first come to me, they, you know, they're confused about the clicker because they don't understand what it's for. Mm. And I, I think I, I think that's the problem is that, you know, they may buy a clicker in a store, but they have no idea what to do with it. No. So they're using it inappropriately, and then they blame the clicker when it's their lack of understanding of what a marker signal is. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. The, um, I was saying to someone with a, a young border collie, oh, try clicking with them and try clicking. And she just turned around and went, oh, I tried a clicker and she didn't know what it was. And you just think, mm-hmm. of course she didn't. <laughs> I don't think you do really. You know, it's just crazy. But I mean, th- there's real science behind the clicker, isn't there? Oh, very much. 
very much. I mean, this isn't just something that, you know, marine mammal uh, trainers just made up. You know, I mean, it's it's very, you know, it, I mean, there's a lot of science. Yes, there is a lot of science behind it. And it's been proven for years and years and years. Uh-huh. And people are still not understanding what it is. I think because there's not enough accessible information out there that explains it in an easy-to-understand format. Yeah, yeah. And that's why there's so much confusion, yeah. And people think, as you say, right. it's a, I'm going to click and the dog's going to look at me and it's to call them back. And it, No, 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 it really isn't. It's, um, and yet, right. when you understand the clicker, um, it's such a great tool. I can remember trying to teach my Labrador buddy to do some heel work to music moves. And we spent a fortnight and we were really struggling. And I'd forgotten clicking. And my trainer said to me, why don't you try clicking? And I, I was like, oh, I was sort of, you know, palm to the forehead. It's like, oh, my goodness, how could I forget that? When we did that, with, within a few days, we were getting behaviors from him that I just had not gotten a fortnight of sort of trying to do, do verbal reinforcement and, and food. But it's, it's, a, it's, it's precise. But, you know, it's a tool and it's so useful. Yes, very much so. Mm. Now, I, and it's very funny because some people say, well, I can't handle the clicker and I can't handle this and my timing's off on the clicker. And it's like, well, honey, if your timing's off on the clicker, then your timing is off, mm. period. You know, and if your timing is off, then you're marking the wrong behavior. Yeah. You know, I mean, something just as simple as when I, you know, when we're, let's say we're working on eye contact. Well, when the dog looks at you, click and then give them a treat. Mm. But what they often do is they'll click at the same time they're feeding a treat. So what they're actually marking is the behavior of eating (laughs) as opposed to the behavior of give me eye contact. Mm. Mm. So it's these little things that no matter what method you're using, if your timing is off, then your timing is off and you're not going to get the behaviors you want. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, talking about timing, um, another myth is sort of that positive reinforcement takes too long. Um, yeah. But it, it doesn't, does it? I mean, you, you will say it better than I do, but what's the truth about this one, Pam? Well, the truth is that it very much takes a lot less time to teach behaviors. And it's sometimes it's scary how fast it, it is to teach behaviors. I'll give you an example. Now, this behavior is not in the book mm-hmm. um, because it's competition obedience behavior, and it's the drop-on recall, which basically you have the dog stay, you go across the room, you call the dog, you give them a hand signal or a verbal, and they drop like a stone, and then you call them all the way in after that. Mm. Well, when I was using punishment methods, um, I'm not even going to tell you what I used to do to try to get my dogs to do the drop-on recall. And then once I switched to positive, I mean, and it it was taking like a year to teach a drop-on recall, and then the dog was so afraid that he would just run away. Mm. He would run away. He's like, you're going to throw things at me. You're going to do bad things to me. And so then with my Border Collies, at that point I had already switched to positive when I got uh, my first set of Border Collies. And it took like three reps Mm. to teach a drop-on recall. 
And it's like, okay, guys, why do you think positive takes longer? Like, it was three reps. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as opposed to a year. I'm sorry. You know, it's pretty pretty easy to figure out. You know, yeah. and even even not jumping. You know, when I work uh, with the dogs, like, you know, teaching them that a person approaching is a cue to sit, you know, takes two to three reps. And I'll, I had this one lady with a golden who was a terrible jumper. Oh, my God, it was hilarious. And so I said, all right, I'm going to do you first. And so I just taught the dog, you know, no hands-on, no touching the dog. She was holding the leash. And I just walked up to the dog. I asked him to sit. I gave him a treat. I walked away. I walked back. I didn't even have to say anything. He just sat. Mm-hmm. And I gave him a treat. This woman's jaw totally dropped. <laughs> she was like, how did you do that? And I'm like, well, you saw me. I just walked up, asked the dog to sit, gave him a cookie, walked away, walked back. He sat, and then I did it a bunch of times, and he never jumped on me again. Yeah. So, you know, where's the too long part, you know? Mm. It's like, no, it doesn't take too long. It may take too long because you have to think instead of react with violence. Yes. You know, I mean, that's the part that takes longer is to figure out, okay, I don't want my dog to do X, Y, Z. I want them to do this behavior instead. That's the hardest part is coming up with what do you want the dog to do instead. Mm. Yeah. You know, but training it, no, that's easy. That's the easy stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I know you, you sort of advise be quite organized about what it is that you do want the dog to do so that you know that and then you can work at getting it, which, again, I think is great advice. Um, and, and, again, an anecdote that I love, Pam, um, you were teaching a client about sort of these positive methods and her son was very surly and rude. <laughs> tell us oh what happened Oh, my there. <laughs> God. Let me tell you about that story. So I met her again a couple years ago. I was out with another friend of mine, and this woman was there. And I was like, oh, my God, I wrote about your son in my book. And she's like, and at that point, he was like 22, 24. Mm. And she's like, yeah, he's, he's been fabulous ever since. He's a wonderful young man. <laughs> so I thought that was amazing. And I told her, again, that'll be $5,000, please, because I saved her a, a fortune in therapy. Yeah, yeah. Now tell us, what was the magic wand? What was it that she did that changed his behavior? Basically, what she did was when he was being appropriate for however, you know, you know, a 10-year-old boy, mm. she, would, she would reinforce him in whatever way made sense to a 10-year-old boy. You know, whether thank you for, you know, being appropriate, thank you for this, you know, whatever. whatever. And if he was obnoxious, she was to just no comment, no nothing, just turn around and do something else or leave the room. And she said after about two or three days, he started to correct himself and apologize when he was being obnoxious. And then he'd be, oh, 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 sorry, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. It was amazing. It is. I I think that was just brilliant that um, it worked with a 10-year-old. But it made me think of, it made me think of sometimes I'll, 
Now, this is going to give you an insight into my relationship, maybe too, too much information. But, you know, I will, I will try and get a rise out of my husband. You know, I'll, I'll you know, if, if it's bedtime we're going to bed, I'm just, I'm going to move his pyjamas or I'm going to move something, playing him up in some way. And often, he, because he's a clever man, he just doesn't rise to the bait and he just doesn't react. And I will say to him, you know, if you're not going to react, it's going to get very boring for me. And, you know, I'm going to stop doing this. <laughs> and it made me think of that because, you know, yes, he's, he's, he's got it sorted. My husband, he, he knows, you know, if, the, you know, as human beings and as dogs, we want a reaction from the other person. So whatever you do that reaction to, that's the reward. And as you say, that behavior is reinforced and you keep doing it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, one of the things you say is, it, you know, it's a two-way street training your dog, which I love that idea. It's not something we just do to our dog and we sort of kowtow them and we frighten them and make them do what we want. And you say, are you listening to what your dog is telling you? Um, yeah. That, that's really interesting that dogs give out 50-ish signals that we can perceive. But the, yeah. the thing that, you know, is what we need to really know on top of that is there are 12 signals that we give to dogs that they may view as aggressive or threatening. Now, we really need to know what those are so that we don't give those wrong signals out, don't we? Right, exactly. And when um, your listeners get a copy of the book, mm-hmm. um, on page, uh, I think it's page 43, mm-hmm. um, there is a list. I, I, I split the list between calming signals and stress signals. Mm-hmm. But it really, the line is very blurry between the two columns, you know. So yeah. they might give, you know, a calming signal along with a stress signal. So the line is not as rigid as it appears to be. Mm. So you really have to look at the whole dog, the whole body, the context, that type of thing. Yeah. So, Pam, explain to us. What's a calming signal and what's a stress signal? What are they? So calming signal would be head turning away, eyes turning away, yawning. Most dogs don't yawn because they're tired. Because a lot of people will say, wow, I thought my dog was tired all the time. It's like, no, the dog is the dog that's trying to calm you down or calm themselves down. Mm. Um, drooling, lip licking, raising a paw, uh, grass eating, mark- marking, Excessive water drinking, pooping can be a calming signal, uh, peeing can also be a calming signal, avoidance, slow, reluctant behaviors like a lot of dog, a lot of people will think that their dog is, is trying to push their buttons by moving very slowly or responding to a cue slowly, when in reality, they're trying to get you to calm down. Yeah. And then, of course, if you, know, okay. if you respond to that slowness by getting more uptight, it's a vicious circle, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. Um, more calming signals when they kind of, I call it, you know, when they're squishing down, when they lower their body, tackles raised, barking or curving around something, laying down, frantically wagging tail. A frantically wagging tail is not deliriously happy. It means the dog, the, the faster the tail wags, the more stressed the dog is. Mm. Um, a play bow, splitting in between um, two, two people or two dogs or a dog and a person, whatever. Um, sitting, blinking, chewing, squinting, 
head lowered, slow movement, um, and then stress signals, these are the more obvious kind of things. And again, some of these are in both columns. Mm. Um, canting, growling, spinning or circling, stopped or frozen, in, especially in an awkward position, howling, short attention span, biting the leash, poop eating, whining, barking, aggression, hyperactivity, complete body turns away from you, can also be calming, hackles raised, body shaking as if you're cold, scratching, especially excessive scratching, it's like, okay, what's this dog nervous about? Um, body shaking as if they're cold, blinking of the eyes, sneezing, sweaty paws, raised temperature, ears can get hot, mm. diarrhea, stress shedding and dandruff. We all see that with our dogs sometimes if we, when we take them to the vet or the groomer. Um, digging, loss of appetite, won't take treats. Again, frantically wagging tail, showing teeth. Yeah. So those are, you know, many of the stress signals. And there's there's some that are specific to specific dogs. Um, for instance, what I call ambiguous signals. Mm. Um, it depends on the dog themselves or, or personal stress signals. The set of the ears and tail. Like if normally you have a dog that has a curled up tail and that's the natural tail set, if the tail is lowered, well, you know something's going on. Or yeah. vice versa. Dog's tail set is normally low, and they bring it up high. Okay, you know something's changed there. Any creases on their face, okay, like under their eyes, along their muzzle, in between their, uh, in between their eyes, you have to really look at what does your dog look like when they are completely relaxed, maybe even sleeping. And then anything different is, okay, there's something going on here. Mm -hmm. Um, The size of the nose and the muzzle. So, in other words, when Shadow would get really uh, stressed, his nose would actually expand. Like the Mm -hmm. leather of his nose would actually get bigger. Mm -hmm. Um, The look and the shape of the eyes or pupils. Now, when he was really stressed, his pupils would go from normal size to huge in a split second. Now, other dogs, when they're stressed, they have large to small. So, again, that's why it's so important to watch your dog when they're feeling comfortable and relaxed and there's no stress. Yeah. Um, foaming or bubbling at the mouth. Like when you see those big bubbles come, you know, that's usually a sign of stress. Uh-huh. Um, tightness of this mouth or hesitancy when taking food. So if his mouth is really tight and he's, like, ripping your fingers to shreds, well, then he's really aroused. Uh Um, And then, of course, you know, suppleness or or tightness of his body or face. Again, you need to know what they look like when they're relaxed so you can see the difference. And then also, like, puffing out of their cheeks. Uh, Shadow used to do this. Puffing out of cheeks with short but explosive breath. Yeah. So it would kind of be like a... And I don't know if you could hear that, but yes. um, it's, yeah. So, I mean, you know, and, and again, every dog is unique. Some dogs, you can't tell by their tail because their tails are cropped. Yeah, yeah. You know, at least in this country, unfortunately, until we get our acts together and, and ban cropping and docking. Um, um. 
you know, and, and or it, their ears are cut off, so you can't tell what they're doing with their ears. Yeah. You know, so it really just kind of depends. Yeah. And that's yeah. why it's so important to, to keep your eyes on your dog so that you can see these things. Yeah, definitely. And to know what you're seeing, because with, um, with my Border Collie, Rusty, um, I, ha- I really had to sort of have a very steep learning curve of his behaviors because um, he would, when we, particularly early on when we met another dog, if he wasn't happy with the other dog, he would stand very still. Now, I took that as he's being good, he's standing still, everything's fine. But it wasn't. Yeah, not really. No, no. And once I understood that, I would watch him. And if he was sniffing and interacting, you know, normally, that was okay. When he stood very still, I would say, he's had enough now. Could you just take your dog away, you know, and and get out of that situation? Um, But it is. It's complicated. But it's so important to understand your dog's behavior, particularly when they're stressed. Because... You say in the book, you know, behaviours when a dog gives off signals, if they're not taken into account, he will step up that signal. And then it can have really serious consequences, can't it? Very much so. And I talk about, uh, in the book and in, in my classes as well, uh, and I have some fabulous photos in in this book about yes. body language and mm. telling you what the you know, what's going on, what's good, what's not good. Like, some of the photos are pretty innocuous, and it's like, oh, no, no, no. Uh, you know, this dog is guarding his ball, and then you have dogs that are biting each other's faces, and it's like, no, this is great play. <laughs> yes. So, you know, what looks like, oh, okay, dog is fine, isn't, and what looks like, oh, my God, look at those teeth, that's scary, no, 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 this is good. When they're playing mouth games and they're biting each other's necks and stuff, it's a fabulous thing. Yeah, yeah. But as you say, you, you need to sort of understand and take the context into account because you've, you've already mentioned the play bow, you know, when they sort of dip their front end down and the bum stays in the air. And that can be right. an invitation to play. I didn't know till I read right. your book. It can be a sign of nervousness, isn't it? Can't it? So Absolutely. It's, it, like, I'm not a threat. I'm not a threat. See, I'm booing to play bow. I'm not a threat. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, I look at, I look at uh, calming signals this way. You want to really learn to observe your dog so that you see the tiny little, what I call whispers, these tiny little signals, a little liplet, a little head duck, a head turn, a blink, tiny little things. Very subtle, because the dog, given the chance, will always start with subtlety first. Yeah. If that, if those subtle whispers are ignored, then they won't use them anymore. And they'll start to talk a little louder. Yeah. So the signals will escalate. They'll be way more obvious. Uh-huh. And if those are ignored or punished, because now people are maybe starting to see it, and they pump it, then the dog will stop using, will stop talking louder. And then they'll start yelling. And if that, if those very large, broad, teeth-showing, hackled-up growls, if those are punished, then the dog will have no choice but to not communicate with you at all 
and not give you any warning that they're uncomfortable mm. and just bite you yeah. out of nowhere, supposedly yeah. out of nowhere. Mm-mm. And I tell people, if you learn to see and respect the whispers, then your dog will learn to trust you. Mm-hmm. And then they will never have the need to escalate. Yeah. Because they know you're paying attention to these little tiny signals. Okay, honey, let's get out of the way. That dog or person or situation is obviously making you nervous, so let's go over this way. Yeah, yeah. Um, you you make a really interesting point that I I hadn't thought of it like this before. It's in the chapter chapter five where you talk about foundation skills, and right. you say ninety percent of all dog training is building your relationship and learning to read your dog. Now that's a vast percentage. That's that's what really brings it home how important it is. Yeah, you know, ten percent is all the verbs, and I teach a million verbs. Mm. But 90% is learning how to read your dog. Because if you're not reading your dog, then you're stressing the dog out and making it harder for him to learn. And then it's a never-ending cycle. And then you start, you know, getting harsher on the dog. And then the dog is backing off even more and making it, you know, making learning not fun for the dog. I'd never thought about it like that. But you think of sort of training as being a very active and sort of, a teaching time. But you're right, because when you think about it, if you don't have that relationship with your dog, and if you can't read him, you're not going to get anything done, are you? No, definitely not. I mean, I mean, I shouldn't say definitely not. Yes, you can get some stuff done. But at what cost? Yeah, yeah. You know, and loving your dog is not enough just because you love your dog, that doesn't mean you have a great relationship. Mm. What also matters is how you treat the dog and if you respect the dog and if the dog respects you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot more to it than that. Mm. You also say any fun or relaxing activity you, you share with your dog sort of builds up, it's a great way of expressing it, builds up some nice money in the bank account of your relationship. I think that's a great way of putting it. Yes. Yes, and I do a lot of things with my dog. You know, sometimes we cuddle on the couch. Sometimes we, in, and a lot of times, in the nice weather anyway, uh, you know, we take, we take walks on the trail like three, four times a week, you know, mm. a couple miles at a time. And, and I do lots of different dog sports because everything that I can do to enrich my dog's life enriches my own as well. Yes. Yeah. So I do competition obedience. I do rally. I do tri ball. I do agility. I do tricks. I do lots of different things. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. because that builds that builds our relationship as well. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think some people sort of misunderstand dogs in that dogs like being busy. They like doing things, don't they? It's it's not sort of a punishment for them. It's it's great. They want to be active. They want to do stuff with you. Right, exactly. Exactly. Mm. Another thing you, you, you um, sort of talk about in that chapter is drop all physical and verbal punishments, including the word no. Now, we've, yeah. we've sort of touched on this, but it is, it's really, really important. You, 
we do it naturally as you know as humans we, you just go to no we're so verbal and it's you see the dog do something it's no but no doesn't mean anything to a dog does it no it does not you know because again not a verb mm, mm. again if, if you don't know what you want your dog to do you know if you haven't figured out well instead of jumping on yes i want my dog to let say go to the mat mm. You know, I mean, unless you have that in your head, what you want to train the dog to do instead, you know, I mean, no, I mean, I was, I, I, this is what I, I tell people. I said, okay, like I had this one lady with the dog that is, has been barking. She rescued the dog seven years ago mm. and the dog has been barking ever since. And of course she is reinforcing the dog for barking by yelling, no, 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 no. So I said to her the other day, I said, all right, well, let me ask you a question. How's that working for you? She's like, so she started laughing. And she's like, it's not. I said, well, there you go. You know, so whatever, whatever behavior you don't want, look at what you've been doing to supposedly rectify the problem and think to yourself, is that working? And the answer will be no. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so stop doing it. Yeah. You know, stop doing whatever you're doing because clearly it's not working. And try to get a little creative and do something else in, in a positive, from a positive standpoint, not a punitive standpoint. Yeah, yeah. Now, again, when, when you discuss that in the book, you talk about the couple who came to you with their dog and they stopped saying no to the dog and that had a, a knock-on effect on their own relationship, didn't it? Yes, I will never forget them. It was really, it was an amazing transformation in just a couple weeks. That, and, and, and I think that was a couple that they also had a kind of an epiphany at work as well. Mm, mm. And uh, where the husband had been very sullen and, and uh, you know, nasty. And then he started treating his coworkers nicely. And everybody noticed and complimented him, which, of course, then positively reinforced him to continue. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. I think it's, it's so interesting that these changes that you make to sort of motivate your dog can also work on, on humans. It's, it's brilliant. I like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And now another thing you – a lot of the, I like the way you, you make these points because a lot of these things, you know, until someone's pointed them out to you – you're not aware of them. And then once it's, someone said it to you, it's blindingly obvious. And why didn't I think of that before? But there are no sort of intrinsically good and bad behaviours. It's very subjective. And it's yeah. that old saying, isn't it? The rod you make for your own back is the rod that you can bear. Yeah. So, you know, and I th- always think that with, with, with our dogs, I'm, I'm sure some people would think our dog's behaviour is unacceptable. But in our house, with us, it works. So you have to figure that out don't you because the dog won't understand oh this is intrinsically good or bad you have to convey that right like for instance i allow my dogs on the furniture not the kitchen table of course but you know on the couch and and Mm -hmm. the bed and all that so for me that's a good behavior but other people will be like no i don't want my dog on the couch okay well let's train them not to go on the couch yeah but as you say it's you you make your own mind something else that naming is obviously a very human thing and we give our dogs a name and we expect them to understand that's their name. The dog needs to see it as something positive though, doesn't he? Yes. That's why we pair it with food. 
So how, how do we make that positive for them? Well, we pair it with food. So mm-hmm. I, always work, I always work on eye contact first, make that valuable, because if you, you can't teach a dog anything if they're not looking at you. Yeah. You know, willingly, without prompting. And I personally don't teach a look at me or watch me cue. Um, I actually hate that with a passion, because then the dog will only look at you when you say, look at me. Mm. I mean, my dogs are looking at me all the time. I'm standing here talking to you, and my dogs are looking at me. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I start with eye contact, um, and then, uh, you know, so I'll work with that for a little bit, and then when the dog is looking at me, I say their name, and I click, and I give them a treat, and you, you know, repeat that dozens and dozens of times over the course of a few weeks, and then, of course, when they hear that word, you know, their name, they will instantly whip their head around and look at you because, you know, or come to you. Mm-hmm. And I do the same thing with come. I actually start come as a stationary exercise. So the dog is looking at me. I say their name. I say my come word. I click and treat. Because what we're doing here is back chaining, which is basically teaching the last piece of a behavior first. So what's the last piece of a recall? The dog's in front of you. So you train that first. So they learn that these words absolutely pay off. Yes. Yeah. And, that's, and it's just so very, very, very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's right. why whenever I get a new dog, I always change their name. Because mm. I do rescue all my dogs. And so I don't know what good or bad association they have with that name. So everybody gets a new name. Yeah, because you think, again, as a human, it's a very, you know, your name is part of you and you, you wouldn't think to, to change a name. But you're right, if they've, if they've always heard, you know, Fido, you're a bad dog, or Fido, no, no, you need a new name. So it's, oh, yeah, okay, great. And then it, it changes the whole attitude, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I've actually had some clients that have gotten dogs and, and you know, they'll say the dog's name and the dog runs away. Mm. So I'm like, okay. Oh, this is what we're going to do. We're going to change your dog's name, come up with a name right now. And sometimes I'll help them and say, okay, you're going to call this dog whatever. And, and, and there's an instant change with the dog. Yeah. You know, because now we're going to do it right. Yes. Yeah. It must be such a relief for the dogs when these things are sorted out in the, in the owner's mind, you know, and sort of the change is made. And it must be so much easier for them. Well, yeah, because now they're... They're learning good associations instead of bad ones. Mm. Another thing I like about the, the book is, and, and your approach is, using games. Um, yes. Because, you know, I can remember working with Buddy and um, I, I remember I got an alley-oop, you know, one of those things that sort of waited on the bottom. It's like a target stick. And yep, yep. I was so excited about this alley-oop. It was one of the first things we bought on the internet. And I was so excited about it. Even now, he's 13. If I get the alley-oop out, he's wagging his tail. And he's, oh, great, this is great. Whereas basic training, I wasn't quite so excited about, and neither was he. And so I think they, they uh, catch uh, I know, I know. I think they catch our attitude. So it's great if you can find fun ways of training. And I like your um, chapter six when you said, you talk about the games to teaching a recall. And int- really interesting, a reliable recall is not a single behaviour. I'm reading, this is a quote from you. It depends on a number of things. And that's really interesting, that it's not just a run to me now. It, it, it's a complicated behaviour, isn't it? 
Very much so. And there's a lot that goes into it that you need to develop first. Yeah. You know, you need to develop a relationship with the dog. You need to develop a reinforcing history. You need to, to really look at how often you practice with and without distraction. How well you can read his body language to tell if this instant is the right time to call him. Like when his, you know, head is in a gopher hole, that's not the time to call him, especially in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and how often you call your dog, like, you know, when he has no intentions of coming. Like, let's say your dog is out in the, in the backyard, and, and people do this all the time. They always name the behavior before it happens. Yeah, yeah. So, the dog, so picture this. So dogs learn the correct way is you pair the word with whatever behavior that word names. For, oh. for instance, you know, you lure the dog into a sit. As they're sitting, you say the word sit. So... And same with down and stand and all that. So you're pairing those words with the behavior as it's happening. And then, but then the dog will be in the backyard, you know, doggy come, doggy come, doggy come, and the dog is ignoring you because they don't know what come means. Mm-hmm. But you continually, you continually pair the word come with other behaviors so that the dog thinks, oh, come must mean you know, lift my leg on this bush, dig this yes. hole, run around, because that's the behavior you paired with the word come. Mm. So very, very hard for people to get out of that habit of naming things before they happen. Yeah, yeah. You know, now if you, you know, made little kissy sounds or, you know, clapped your hands and the dog was running toward you, yeah, then you can say, doggy comes mm. because now you're pairing that word with the correct behavior yeah yeah it's it is something that's really difficult to get your head around i can remember um my mum looks after my dogs if we go away and um and she was coming on a walk with us and i wanted buddy to our word for toilet is hurry up when i want him to wee or poo mm-hmm. i say hurry up and he, he usually if you can, he does it. So we were walking, going along, and I'd said, hurry up, and he wasn't. And she kept saying, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And I said, don't keep saying it, because he's not doing it. And just what you're saying, of you know, it's going to mean to him, oh, just wander along and have a sniff here, there, and everywhere. And I explained this to her, and she just turned around to me and said, well, how on earth do you ever get a dog to do anything if they don't understand the words? You know, and that's a whole other... (laughs) That's a right. whole well, other situation. Well, mom, if you pair the word with the behavior, yeah, yeah, then they will understand it. But by by chanting the these nonsensical syllables to the dog and expect them to miraculously figure out what that word means, I mean that's kind of silly. Yeah, you yeah. know. Absolutely, but it, it just surprised me that she sort of turned around and said that. I was like, oh my goodness, but uh, yeah. So we, we've had lots of conversations, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's difficult. Um, I, I said already that this, there was so many things in this book, in your book, that I sort of read and went, I didn't know that. And I, I read bits out to my daughter and I went, Jenny, did you know this? And she said, I didn't know that. Um, one, of the bits, <laughs> one of the bits in, in, in that chapter six um, about sort of a training your recall is that a wad of treats is the same as one treat to a dog. Now, absolutely, that can revolutionise my training. Now, that's so. 
what do we need to do then if if you, we want to sort of jackpot the dog? You know, if we want to give them a big, a lot of treats, how do we do it best, Pam? One treat at a time. Mm-hmm. You just hand them one treat at a time because dogs, a tiny piece of kibble and a big chunk of steak is one. They don't understand big and small. They understand numbers. So you can give them tiny little pieces of cheese. You can give them 10 tiny little minuscule pieces of cheese. And that's like, wow. But if you gave them one chunk of cheese or a bunch of, a bunch of, of treats in, in one handful, well, they, you know, that was one. Because they're eating, they're, you know, they're just, they're just inhaling it. Yeah. So one treat at a time. And when I'm teaching a recall or even loosely walking and playing follow the leader, I want you to reinforce for 20 seconds. 20 seconds, which is, a, is close to 20 treats, depending on how quickly you can fill out the treats. Mm-hmm. Because that's going to make a really big difference and a big impression on the dog. Yeah, yeah. And, and you don't have to use jackpots forever. It's just in the beginning stages when you're teaching something and, and maybe the dog is having a hard time or, or all of a sudden they get it. Yeah, you want to say, yay, that was right, thank God. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I, that that's a a priceless piece of advice. I I really like the the jackpotting thing and the and knowing to to do it one at a time. That's brilliant. I like that. Um, now another thing in the book, you talk about self control games. Now, what are yeah. they, and and why are they good to do with our dogs? All right, let's see. So self control games. I've got quite a few. Mm-hmm. I have the two toy game, which teaches the dogs. Four very important things. Teaches them to get it or fetch, come, give, that's an important one, yeah. and not to be possessive about different objects. I have building toy drives in case your dog doesn't uh, inherently like toys. Mm. And, and I like to train dogs to like toys because you don't always want to use food. You want to be able to use toys and play and tug and all different kinds of things. Yeah. So I I have instructions here on how to build toy drives because I've done it with a couple of my dogs that have come to me and not been interested in toys. And it's like, well, you're going to learn to be interested in toys. <laughs> and also tug of war because tug is a, is a great, great game um, to uh, build your relationship. And just as an aside, I always, always, always let my dog win. I know. Now that's... That again, I I read that and I was like, crikey, because I mean I don't. The advice always used to be, didn't it? The the outdated advice was always win every time. Don't let your dog win more than you on tug of war. You know it will it will think he's the boss of you. It's not right, is it? You, you don't have to dominate your dog and show them you're the boss in in that way, do you? No, not at all, not at all. And it doesn't. If you let the dog win, the dog will not, I promise, will not think that they are dominant over you. You know, yeah. what happens is when I'm playing tug with my guys, I let them win, and they bring it back to me. Come on, let's play some more. Yeah, yeah. You know, it builds their confidence. It does not, it has nothing to do with dominance whatsoever. Yeah. So I talk about that um, and how you can intersperse playing and tug 
and then um, and then you can do, throw in a couple sits and a couple downs, maybe a few steps of healing, and then tug again. So you've got this huge now repertoire of reinforcers that you can use for your dog. Yeah. And um, rev up and cool down. It basically teaches them to have an off switch, and it teaches them to switch gears. Mm. Like going from, you know, maybe a little bit over aroused. Okay, honey, calm down. Okay, I will. As opposed to just escalating and escalating and escalating. And that switching gears will also help for recalls. Because if they can learn to switch gears, let's say they're in full chase of a deer, and you call them back, they'll switch. If you do it right, they will switch gears and come right back to you and stop chasing the deer. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So it it really is putting those right things in place, playing those games, getting those skills and those signals and that relationship, and then you'll you'll have it made, won't you? And your dog will as well. Right, absolutely. Because then you're a team... As opposed to dog and master. Yeah, yeah. Because that's, we don't need to go there. No, no. I mean, that's why we have our dogs, isn't it? We want a relationship with them. We want to sort of, you know, be a team with them, not just be in control of them and boss them about. That's what it should be about, isn't it? Well, that's what it should be, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly, and I like your term, instead of bossing them around, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. You know, but yeah. who likes to be bossed? You know, I don't like to be bossed. No, no. Pam, I really enjoyed this book. It's um, it's fantastic. And I, even from the title, you can train your dog. You know, it, it's positive. You're starting off with, with the reader in a very positive way. So um, right. it's we've we've talked about a tiny, tiny proportion of what's in the book. Um, it's, right. it's, and it reads really well. It's very accessible. It's clear. You, you've mentioned the illustrations. Um, it really will. You explain um, everything so well. It will help people to sort of really get to grips with training their dog. Um, where can people find out more online and where can they buy the book? Um, they can go to my website, mm-hmm. which is www.pam denison.com so it's p-a-m-d-e-n-n-i-s-o-n dot com Mm -hmm. and I also have you can buy it certainly from my website you can get it on Amazon in the U.S. um, and a few other booksellers in the U.S. but I also have a bookseller in Australia Canada and Two in the UK, and the links are on my website for people that are in other countries. Great, great. You know, so that I mean, certainly you can get the ebook from me uh, because then there's no shipping involved. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I really do recommend people that they, they do get it because um, it, it's going to give you such an insight into how your dog thinks and how to motivate him, and it's. It's made me think. There's things in there that, I, as I say, I came across and went, I didn't know that, and I didn't know that, and I didn't know that. So it's it's changing the way I'm interacting with my dogs, you know, even now after having them for years. and sort of. So it's, it's brilliant. I re- really enjoyed it, Pam. It's great. Thank you so much for writing it. Oh, well, thank you. And uh, and there's there's more books coming, isn't there? You, you, you're working on more books now. Yes. Um, my How to Write a Dog Gone Wrong book for aggressive dogs, aggressive and mm. reactive dogs is actually, um, I'm in the process of rewriting it and updating it. 
Um, it is 10 years old, so it's time for an update. Mm-hmm. And that will also be published or republished and reprinted. My guess is May or June of 2016. And uh, that will also be on my website, and it'll be through uh, my publishing company, Shadow Publishing. Yeah, great. Well, Pam, I can feel another interview coming on. We'll have to talk about that as well. I think that sounds wonderful. Great. Um, Well, the best of luck with this book, and it's going to help a lot of people and a lot of dogs as well. Yes, because that's really the point, is to help people and to help dogs. And if you build a solid foundation based on the behaviors in the book, you won't have behavior problems later on. I really did enjoy Pam's book, and it has taught me many things. And if you want to train your dog the kind, effective way, now, thanks to Pam, you can train your dog. To find out more about Pam, follow the link on the Dogcast Radio site to her site, pamdennison.com. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. You ever read a book and think, no, it shouldn't happen like that? Well, check out the latest innovation in romantic fiction, Macy's Choice, which puts you in charge of the plot as you make life-changing decisions on the main character's behalf. At the end of each chapter in Macy's Choice, there are always two options, and you choose what happens next. With over a million and a half words, that's over 5,000 pages, 256 chapters, and 128 different endings, Macy's Choice is an ebook you can reread again and again, making new choices each time to vary your experience to find love with each of the three heroes. To find out more, visit macyschoice.com. That's M-A-C-I-E-S-C-H-O-I-C-E dot com or search for Macy's Choice on Amazon. According to a survey by Pet365, most dog owners think their dogs are better trained than those belonging to other people. Dogs' sensitive noses have been put to use in many ways, but did you know that there are 17 dogs working as conservation canines for the University of Washington Center for Conservation Biology? The dogs are trained to sniff out the fecal leavings of several threatened and endangered species. They track species such as spotted owls, cougars, caribou, and rare species like the Iberian wolf, giant armadillo, and tiger. Experienced dogs can identify scat from more than 13 separate species. Before their work as conservation dogs, many of the dogs ended up in rescue as they had too much energy to settle as a pet. So the scheme benefits the dogs as well as the wildlife they are helping to conserve. Incredibly, trained dogs can pick up the most minuscule trace of scent from beneath feet of snow or floating at a distance in the water. The team includes breeds such as Labradors, Australian Cattle Dogs, Pointers, Shepherd Mixes and even a Chihuahua Mix. And now to the Dog IQ Test, which scientists have developed in the hope it could pave the way for breakthroughs in the understanding of the link between intelligence and health. Experts have found dog intelligence works similarly to human intelligence. Recent studies have also shown brighter people tend to live longer. Scientists think if they can prove the same is true in dogs, they can use them to study health issues such as dementia. The research, carried out by the London School of Economics and Edinburgh University, put the intelligence of 68 working border collies to the test by devising a series of cognitive tasks for them to carry out. 
One involved finding their way to a food reward they could see, but which was behind a barrier, meaning they had to work out to go around the barrier rather than try to dig under it. Another involved offering two plates of food and assessing if the dogs learnt to go to the one with the bigger portion. While a third task examined how many times a dog followed a human pointing gesture. Those that performed well in one of these tasks tended to be above average in the others too. Investigating the link between intelligence and health can be tricky in humans as lifestyle choices such as smoking, drinking, diet and exercise can have a major impact whereas dogs aren't so affected by such factors. Crucially, like humans, dogs also acquire dementia which affects them very similarly. Luckily, the dogs also seem to enjoy taking part in the research. Writing in The Guardian in the UK, Michelle Hansen suggests that lessons in looking after your dog should be compulsory. Making a strong case in support of her suggestion, Michelle says compulsory how to look after your dog lessons might mean we wouldn't have pavements littered with excrement or thousands of bored, wretched, pent-up, disturbed and maddened dogs or 7,227 hospital admissions for dog bites like we had from March 2014 to February 2015. She goes on to outline some of the less pleasant realities of dog ownership. To read the article in full, follow the link on the Dogcast Radio site. And we'd love to know what advice you think would-be dog owners should be given. To end on a happy note, we have not one, but two happy ever after stories. Snickers, the dog who saved her family from a fire, ended up in rescue when her family moved and couldn't take her with them. She was placed in the Glen Rose Animal Shelter in Texas and was sadly in danger of being euthanized after there was no initial interest in adopting her. But the great news is that her story went viral on social media and it wasn't long before a family came to her rescue. And Snickers now has a ten-year-old girl to play with, plenty of new toys and lots of land where she can run. And a dog dubbed the saddest dog in the world finally also has a home of her own. Lana was rescued from the streets of Mexico when she was just five weeks old. She was adopted but returned to the shelter after a few months when she developed resource guarding issues. A photo of Lana looking utterly dejected in kennels went viral last November and in the wake of that $15,000 of donations poured into the shelter Rescue Dogs Match and very happily Lana found a foster home. Now she's been adopted into her forever home and her new family report that she loves ear and chin rubs and greets them very enthusiastically when they get up in the morning or return home after an outing. We love a happy ending here at Dogcast Radio, and that's the end of this show. So until next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com if you'd like to get in touch with us and wherever you are in the world we'd love to hear from you you can do so in a variety of ways you can contact us on skype with the ident dog cast radio that's all one word dog cast radio by email you can contact me on julie at dog when contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny.
What does a scientist dog do with bones? Barium.